Before I begin the study of the evening, I want to thank you very much for this opportunity that we've had to be together. It has been a real joy for me. I've enjoyed the time with you. Though it has been limited, it has certainly been pleasant. And if you've enjoyed it anywhere near as much as I have, then you've had a good weekend. I appreciate you. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate your good attention through our studies. You've been an excellent audience, and I thank you for your part in our studies. It'd be hard to teach if you weren't paying attention, but you've paid careful attention, and I appreciate that a lot. The seasons of life. Life brings changes, and these changes confront us with different circumstances. Some changes of circumstances have to do with the ebb and flow of day-by-day life. Other changes have to do with the advancement of our age and the different responsibilities that we meet at different ages in life. Obviously, different people face different changes of circumstances as we all travel our personal journey. And not each person sees the same advancing changes in life, but there are certain seasons of life that represent a typical human journey. And that's what we want to study about for a little while this evening. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 a passage that speaks to us about the different circumstances and changes of life's way. He said, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time of love and a time of hate. A time of war and a time of peace. These different times and different changes that come to us in life's way represent the adjustment of circumstances in some examples, and in other examples, they represent the advancement of time and of years. We realize, as I said, that not each life embraces the same precise uh, varied circumstances that come with the advancement of years, but we'll study about the typical human experience. And what we observe this evening in our study of the seasons of life is that in every age there is a common thread of responsibility. And even if we talk about some different time that it varies from your experience or some change of season of life that perhaps you'll never know, there will still be a lesson that we can explore in that season of life that will speak to us all whatever moment of life that you might be in. There is, of course, childhood. I'm talking about early childhood, a period of innocence. There is a time at which an individual becomes accountable before God. I don't pretend to be able to tell you exactly when that is. I could suppose and theorize from now to the land looks level and 
You wouldn't be any the better for it, so we'll just pass over and say there is a time that an individual becomes accountable. We'll talk about that scripturally speaking. There is also uh, from accountability a, a period of time of our youth after we've become accountable, but we've still got a little youth left, a little bit of vinegar left. There's still a little gas left in the tank, and life still feels young, and with that a new phase or new season of life, there are different responsibilities and different circumstances that vary from what we had way back in that time of carefree childhood. Life has begun to get complicated. And it's just going to get even more so. Because you hit early adulthood when a lot of people are looking for a mate and finding a mate. And I know not everybody gets married and that's fine. But that new season of life brings a change, a radical change of circumstance that illustrates important lessons to us that even speak to those that are not married. And for those who are blessed with marriage, there might perhaps also be the hope of that blessing of parenthood. We understand some people are married that are never parents. And they're no less important to the kingdom of God or to the mind of God than those who are married and those who are parents of many children. But those who do have children and bear the responsibility and the burden of parenthood experience a change in the season of their life that illustrates a fundamental lesson that speaks to that little child over there playing in the dirt, living carefree. And every other person in every other season of life. As we carry out that responsibility of parenthood, that brings us into the middle years. If a person should live that long, certainly not all do, but those that do experience a change in their season of life in those middle years. And they begin to approach what some have referred to as the golden years. I've had too many senior citizens tell me, I don't see what's so gold about these years, so I'm going to call them the senior years. Now, if you want to know exactly at what age you reach the senior years, women never reach it. So ask some of these old guys and they'll tell you. I don't know when that age is any more than I can tell you when accountability is. Age is a relative thing. But I will tell you there are people here this afternoon that are in the senior years and their bones are telling them so. And their joints and their muscles are telling them so. And their life has changed radically. And just in the time that I've spent laying out this diagram before you, they were thinking back to their childhood. And they were remembering when they first got married. And they were remembering that first moment when they cradled their first child for the first time and thought, wow. And looking at their lives today, they realize it's changed completely, radically. It's a totally new season in life, yet there's some simple sameness about it all. And that's what I want to study about this evening to be a close for our meeting this weekend. Let's think about that time of childhood. It's a time of innocence and a time that is carefree. When we think about childhood, we might well remember what Christ said in Matthew 19 and verse 14 when Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. With these words and other teachings we find in scriptures, Christ has framed our conviction that children are innocent. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. It's not that they never do or think anything that is necessarily wrong, but 
or that they make every decision that is perfect and everything they do is exactly right. It's that we don't believe they're accountable. We don't believe that God holds them accountable for the things that they think, say, and do. That is a time of innocence when you just really don't know how much is going on out there in the world that's wrong. I can remember these days like it was yesterday. And life seems so simple. I didn't know the burdens that my father carried that kept him awake at night, that weathered his brow and calloused his hands as he carried the burdens that otherwise would have troubled me in those years of my life. But I didn't have to be troubled because mom and dad carried those troubles for us. We were able to just live innocent and carefree and have very minimal responsibilities. We did have one basic responsibility in the sight of God and in the sight of our parents. The same one that any child has at that stage in their life. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. When a little child toddling about at the age of two stumbles towards the open heater and mom says, no, leave that alone. In that moment, that child is experiencing an opportunity to make a choice that bespeaks a concept that they must learn then and follow throughout their lives. I'm obligated by God to obey the authority to which I answer. And the size and the shape of that little toddler's world, it's pretty simple choices. Don't stick your hand in that open flame. Don't grab the chunk of metal or the brick behind the furnace that's glowing bright red hot. Leave it alone. That's pretty simple choice. You might be thinking right now, you're having to face choices day by day and grapple with decisions and work through problems that are immeasurably more complicated than that little two-year-old staring at that open furnace. But there's a sameness between what that child faces and what you and I face today and for however many tomorrows we have left. I'm supposed to do what my authority tells me to do. That little child is experiencing in that moment what we all experience before God, our Creator, day by day as we face His Word and His will for our lives. We're obligated to do what the Father says. We're obligated to do the right thing. In all the simplicity, in all the beauty, in all the innocence of those early years doesn't change the fact that there is a complexity to the pride struggle that's growing on in that heart. Am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to do what my father wants me to do? That season of life, simple as it is, speaks a clear message to every person in whatever season of life. We're obligated with a duty of obedience. Childhood and all its beauty is all too short. It seemed like the snow was on the ground forever. It seemed like the weekend lasted forever. It seemed like summer never ended. It seemed like my older brother would never get home from school. It seemed like grandma and grandpa were just always there and always would be there. Mom and dad would just always be there. And that I would always be this size, this shape, and this age. 
and the holiday season and all the packages and all the fun and all the special treats that we had during that time and the summer and the fishing and the fun and the hunting and all the things that went with that time, that all those seasons would just keep on going. And one day, it escaped my notice that time was beginning to march just a little bit faster. And summer got a little shorter. And school got a little harder. And guilt got a little deeper and become more real. And I reached a point where like everybody else, just like you, we become accountable to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 39, Moreover, your little ones, which ye said would be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither unto them, and I will give it, and they shall possess it. Now God here is talking uh, to Israel about what they would face versus what their offspring would face. And I just want to ask you to notice what he said about their little ones. He said they have no knowledge between good and evil. That little two-year-old child staring at the open furnace trying to figure out what they're going to do, they really don't fully understand right from wrong. You and I do. We're watching the whole thing. We recognize what's unfolding. We recognize the lessons that child needs to learn about obedience to the Father because obedience to that Father in the flesh well represents a need for obedience to the Father of all spirits. They don't really understand right from wrong. But we reach a point where we do. The Apostle Paul, reflecting back on his life, said, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. There was a time in his life that Paul was one of those little ones who had no knowledge between good and evil. Insofar as his mind's workings were concerned, he was without the law. He didn't know right from wrong. But somewhere along the way, Time started moving faster for little Saul of Tarsus too. And guilt began to deepen as his understanding of right and wrong began to expand and broaden and deepen. And somewhere along the way, God looked at him as someone who did know right from wrong. And that awareness of right from wrong was a coming of the law to the Apostle Paul. It came to his mind as he understood right from wrong. And with that coming of the commandment, sin revived in his heart and spiritually he died before God. He was an accountable young man. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 counsels such an one with these words. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Would that we would all begin our service to God as early in life as we can understand to do. I don't know how early that is. That's a question we struggle with. As our young people have an interest in obeying the gospel, we worry about them. You know, are they old enough to understand what they're doing? And all those kinds of questions that swirl in a parent's mind. And I... I don't know how the wife and I could have yearned and poured over that question any harder than what we did. I don't think my cardiovascular system could have withstood any more concern about that question as it related to our children as a dawn began to break on their view and they begin to really understand right from wrong and feel that growing sense of guilt that says, I need the blood of Christ. Whenever that moment is, that young person needs to remember their creator. Because if you don't, you're apt to build ungodly habits. 
And as you build and expand on those ungodly habits and walk contrary to that principle that says, I must do what the Father says, you're more and more indulging, I choose to do what I want to do. And what the, what, what the Father wishes becomes of little interest to me. And before those evil days come and the years draw nigh, when you say, you know, I'm just really not interested in serving God, a person at that station in life needs to decide, I want to do what's right. Just like as a younger child I had to obey my father in the flesh, I now must express that same principle as I obey my father in heaven. Life has become more complicated. Life has changed dramatically. Joys of those early years have slowly faded in the midst of time. But one responsibility that's been there all along remains. I've got to do what my father says. And from that time, we advance on into youth. Time keeps on marching and life keeps on changing. Junior high becomes high school, becomes leaving home, becomes college. And all of a sudden when the car breaks down, it's not dad's problem that dad's wrangling over. I can't get to where I have to go if I don't fix it. All of a sudden, whether or not I eat tomorrow depends on whether or not I do my duties today. I've got a boss that I'm working for, and during my work shift, that boss is my authority. And I'm learning all too well that at the age of two, when I was trying to do what my, learn to do what my authority said, it's a real-life lesson. And back then, it was just a spanking, but today, it's failure, and I could lose this job. My responsibilities have changed. They have expanded. They have grown exponentially. And though it's a time that's very enjoyable as you leave home and experience joys and freedoms in life, you also begin to realize and experience that grown-up freedoms bring grown-up responsibilities and grown-up consequences. And when it all goes wrong... I can't sit back down and resume playing in the dirt and forget it thinking, well, mom and dad will take care of it. Now, whether or not it's taken care of depends on whether or not I make the right decisions that I was learning about when I was two. I've got to do what my father says. I've got to make the right and godly choices. This period of youth is a critical time in my life and it's a time wherein I'm just as obligated now as I've always been, to do as my Father wills. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, about this season of life in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12 when he said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So I might get up one day in that season of life and I might go to church and I might go around and shake hands with all these people and I might see some of these senior saints who long ago have left behind the, the choices that I'm facing today. And as I think of my childhood problems as now simple by comparison to what I face, they look at my life as a magical moment when there were few worries. And I've got to set an example that's worthy of that person's notice and worthy of that person's imitation. How can I do that? How can I take this gray matter that's so inexperienced 
and so unlearned and make decisions that will speak to that gray head. My God asks it of me. Just as my father once asked of me to keep my hands out of that burning furnace. I have choices to make. Oh, but I wish those choices were as simple as they once were. But life has changed and its seasons have changed. And the difficulty of the burden that I daily bear has changed. If I want to celebrate the freedom of being a man, I've got to embrace the responsibility of being a man. And I will do my father's will and become a worthy example to that older person and that other person and that person there and these others that are my age, or I will answer for it before my God in heaven. And that answering won't be a passing punishment for sticking your hand towards the furnace. It might just be an eternal furnace. The rules have changed. The game has changed. Now there's consequences to what I do that far outweigh a little blister on the fanny or a little blister on the finger from reaching into a fire that I was supposed to leave alone. Can I bear it? Will I buckle? Some people do. Some people say they can't stand the pressure. But evidently God expects us to do just that. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul expanded the, the notion a little when he said, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There are certain desires and passions that are typical of the human experience that are especially prevalent in those younger years when you have the youth and the vigor and the energy and the opportunity to indulge those desires that very often are very contrary to the will of God. I walk through the dorm at college. I walk down the walkway of the apartments in which I live. I walk there to the place where I'm working. As I go here and I go there, I see peers, friends, associates, co-workers, fellow students, all making choices to indulge in things that are typical of that age in life. And I hear my father's voice echoing, keep your hand out of that furnace, son. Don't touch it. It will burn you. Only today that furnace is sin. That furnace is youthful lust. And my father, not the father in the flesh who taught me these things in the earlier years, but my father in heaven through his word is speaking to me to flee these youthful lusts. Because if I don't, that might bring consequences that will hound me to my grave. If I don't flee these youthful lusts, it might bring me guilt and regret that will hang in the back of my heart until my last memory fades in death. I've got to be an example of what a believer should be. I've got to obey the voice of my father. I've got to flee these youthful lusts and instead will to turn my interest towards things such as faith and charity and peace so that I can, in my walk with my Father in heaven, through His Son, Jesus Christ, call on my Lord out of a pure heart, rather than reaching out to Him with perpetually sin-stained hands. I've got bigger choices that need to be made, and bigger consequences that follow these choices. And my mind might well be swelled with an overwhelming feeling of how complicated life has become. Those yesteryears 
feel almost like yesterday. And as I stand before you describing those choices and those feelings, it just hasn't been that long ago that I thought, wow, it's really getting difficult. Little did I know what was coming next. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I remember it like it was yesterday. Visiting a family in the church in a place not too awful far from here. It was a cold, blustery winter evening. And I sat in their living room, having spent the day in labors, and I'd settled in after supper that night, and I was looking at the fire that I was snuggled next to and saw a baby sleeping on the floor next to the fire. I was a lonely bachelor going about my life doing my thing. And it just hit me. I'm alone. I've left my parents home. I'm glad to be grown and gone, but I'm alone. And going back to Billy and Virginia Minson's house outside of Duncan, Oklahoma is not going to fix this. I want a family. I just knew it. I wanted a family. That's the thing that's wired within us that he's talking about here in Genesis chapter 2. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he... <clears throat> A woman and brought her unto the man and Adam said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh I don't know exactly what Adam was thinking when he woke up and first saw Eve but it made him name her Whoa, man. Everything he couldn't find in the animals, he saw in her. She filled every vacancy in his life as it pertained to his need for physical companionship. I remember that feeling. Whoa, man. When I laid my eyes the first time on the woman who now wears my ring. I don't know why, but the decision was made at that moment. That girl needs marrying, and I'm just the fellow to do it. I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what happened. Not everybody experiences that, bless your heart. I wouldn't trade for it. You rush headlong into that thinking, this is great. This is wonderful. This is a blessing. This is God's will, and that's all true. Months after you've said, I do, you wake up in the middle of the night and you look over there at her. You see the rise and fall of her back as she's sleeping. And you realize those cabinets better have food. 
And that car better have gas in the tank. And it's a good thing I've got insurance. Because what if she gets sick? And then not long after that, a doctor with a solemn countenance says, Son, I'm going to have to operate on your wife. The rules have changed. Things just got hairy. And the days of playing in the shade with Big Brother and throwing dirt in the air are starting to sound pretty simple and strangely alluring. But the changing seasons of life have brought me duty and responsibility. Her care has been laid on my shoulders. I promised her father and her family that I would willingly embrace that. And I stood outside a hospital on a snowy winter day in northwest Arkansas wondering if I could make it all happen. This was bigger than anything I'd ever carried in my life. The changing seasons of life, they're great. They're a blessing. And I'm glad and I'm thankful to be here. And I wouldn't be anywhere else. I wouldn't trade for it. But wow, how things have gotten difficult. And yet somehow it's eerily familiar. You quit crying about it and just do what your father says. I'm thankful that my father in the flesh was with me on that occasion. As I watched him watch me, it made me realize that he understood. And it made me appreciate burdens that he had once carried for me. And it helped me recognize there were burdens that I had to carry for her. And so we move forth and march forth, carrying these blessings that we have in life, enjoying the changing seasons and all the excitement they bring, but recognizing they also bring responsibility. They also bring accountability. And it wasn't just about seeing to the wellness of her body. It was about being mindful of the wellness of her soul and mine and our family and where we were spiritually headed. Psalms 127 and verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. If I couldn't guide our family and lead our family and conduct my role in our young family of two in a way that did what Father said, I was wasting my time. And it wasn't worth 10 cents if I kept her body fed but neglected her soul until she lost hers and I lost mine. So what? There's food in the cabinet. So what? There's health insurance. So what? There's life insurance. Where's the eternal life insurance? Where's something that's going to help us beyond this life and in eternity? That is what matters the most. And those burdens I had watched those men in my family and my home congregation carry while I was little and growing up and watching it unfold, those burdens are now mine. And I might neglect it, but I can't run from it. It's real, and souls are at stake. And whether or not our family could be a godly influence on the church and a blessing to the lives in our community would be 
affected by things that I would choose to do or not do right then, that day, right there. And so the game has changed with a radical change of the rules. And yet I still can boil it down to just obeying my Father's voice. The passing of time and a rich outpouring of blessing from God come the blessing of parenthood. I can remember very, very vividly that feeling the first time I reached into the bassinet and she grabbed my little finger. That same gesture she made the day she moved out of our home. I thought about that. I weighed in my mind her dependence on me and her mother and how that the responsibilities had just grown exponentially. All the while a feeling washing over my soul. And moms just have a way of understanding. And mom looked at me and said, you didn't know you could love somebody so much, did you? Things have really changed now, haven't they? I can't be that carefree little boy anymore. It's a little simpler than whether or not I get the eggs gathered and cows fed today. Now I've got a lot more to see to. My father's will that he speaks to me has become much more complicated than keep your hand out of the furnace. Now has come the blessing of parenthood and with it the responsibility of another soul. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, Your fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What are you young fathers doing for your children to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord today? What example are you setting for your child? What words are you teaching your child? When's the last time you opened the Bible, the Word of God, for your child? Did your father do that for you? What are you doing now to repay your father on earth? By serving your father in heaven. Or do you retreat from the duties of manhood? God will notice and repay you accordingly in eternity. And the earthly consequence of a failed duty towards the children entrusted to your care? Don't even think of such sorrows. Think instead of what can I do to step up to the plate. As that child gets older, you remember when you got older. Sooner or later in our lives came another child. Not everybody enjoys these blessings. We were blessed with two. And I remember with the birth of that second child, more words from mother. You was afraid you didn't have the capacity to love another one like you loved the first one, weren't you? It's just like she'd been reading my mind. I was really worried about that. How could I love anybody else with a love that equals this first love in it? was easy. Now, I can't explain that except to point to God's design and say the responsibility has grown. One evening I came in late from work. The girls had already gone to bed and fallen fast asleep. I went in and stood at the door of their bedroom and stared at them and just watched them sleep. Like years ago, I had watched their mother sleep. And the more I watched them, the longer I thought. 
the more it pressed upon my mind, there's a roaring lion out there seeking whom he may devour. And he wants these two. He wants them bad. I wonder if he wants them more than I do. They're grown now and gone, and we'll get there in a minute, but you may still be at that moment in your life. And I wonder if it's occurred to you that Satan wants your child or your children. Does he want them more than you? Will you teach your children that critical life lesson that you're now living that says, I can't just do what self wants to do. I've got to obey my father's voice. Raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. As parenthood continues, so does age. You pass through the time where you wonder who's raising who. As your children grow and advance in years, you realize you're learning a lot of lessons from them as you strive to teach them. Perhaps at this stage in your life, your parents are getting older. Perhaps they're already gone. But whatever the case, your responsibilities are rapidly changing. The size and shape of your world and the burden you bear is dramatically different than what it was just a few years ago. And a burden that you once thought was just about the most you could stand would now be a welcome relief to things you carry with you to your pillow every night. The kids are getting older and they'll soon leave home. And you begin to experience the next season of life those middle years. A period of time when the kids are grown, but you've still got a little bit of youth and a whole lot of responsibility. It's not that you have no more duty to your children, but that duty has changed as they've left father and mother and cleaved to their spouse. That duty has changed, but remains this idea that I must set a good example. I might not have them under my authority anymore to correct them, but I must consistently set a good example and verbally stand for the right things. Your duty towards your spouse might have changed in different nuances as marriage goes by, but on the other hand, it's still kind of the same. And whatever else is different, it all boils back down to the same principle. I must continue to follow my father's voice. Paul illustrated the changes of life when he talked about the maturing young church in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11, he said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. As, Christ, or as Paul talked about the need for the early church to mature in its growth as the word would become available and that age of miracles would cease that he's talking about in that context, he called to mind a natural maturity that happens with human aging. And that illustrates something that should happen with you and I. You know, by this time in life, our spiritual journey should have been such that things are beginning to fall in place. Questions you once struggled over should now be a no-brainer as you've grown in your knowledge of the Word and deepened your faith and your understanding. Ecclesiastes 4 and 13 says, Better as a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. You can't afford to allow yourself to become that old coot that's too narrow and too prideful to listen. You've got to be just as hungry and just as thirsty for knowledge and I want to know more how to do the right thing and change what's wrong with me as you were 30 years ago. 
You can't lose that thirst for learning to better yourself in your quest to follow the Father's will. Don't be that old and foolish king who's past being instructed, but be like that young child who wisely seeks the wisdom from others. The book of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 illustrates a mentality with this journey of faith and knowledge when he said, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use has their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The journey that this passage describes as a person hungrily seeking knowledge from the word of God as they grow and grow and move on to more and more solid food in the word of God and increasingly instinctively discern right from wrong, that journey should have been your journey. By the time you get to this point in life, things should have been falling into place. As you hone your obedience as you grow in that relationship with your Father, ever following His voice, ever seeking His will, ever exercising that choice that says, I can't just give in to doing what self wants to do. I must follow my Father's voice. For soon to come, our yet advancing age, unless you're robbed of those in death, when I think about those senior years, I think of uh, one of the elders at Lubbock the other day. He and I were visiting and he was talking about the ravages of age and what the passing had time had done to his life and his wife's life and her aged mother and challenges that they were facing and things that they had to work through. And he said, you know, David, I was thinking about this and I thought, instead of complaining about age, we need to be thankful for the years God gave us to make us old. What golden wisdom, if you followed my Facebook, it hasn't been that long since you've seen that quotable statement. I think that's very good advice. If God has given one, someone the years to attain to those senior years, then be thankful for all those years you've been given. And as you look into the future and anticipate the possibility of you living those years, ask yourself, what am I going to do with them? Shall I waste them? Or shall I spend them doing the will of the Father? In these senior years, they've often said in my hearing, what's golden about it? And I just want to tell you, there's nothing inherently gold about your hair turning to silver. Just because you got older doesn't mean you got better. You still have a duty that's just as simple as when you were two and facing the furnace. Are you obeying the Father's will? Proverbs 16 and 31 says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. There's no glory in saying you're old unless that age embraces years that have been spent doing the Father's will. The seasons of life have changed rapidly and dramatically you face new problems, new struggles with your health. By this time, you're saying goodbye to many loved ones and have buried many that you would give anything if you could see them again. And so with that, there is this whole new complexity. Children have become grandchildren and perhaps great-grandchildren. 
And that burden you feel to set a godly example as you've become the patriarch or the matriarch of your tribe that bears your name. Well, it's a heavy burden as you feel obligated to set that worthy example, not just for the believers, but for your own family. Perhaps there are some of your offspring that have gone astray and left the Lord. And so you hungrily seek a way as you walk with God to try to touch their lives and reach out to them and call them back to the Father. No, there's no glory in those years at all unless you spend them living a lesson you learned at age two. I must do my Father's will. Life has become difficult because life is ending. Jordan's chilly tide is rising in your direction. And its cold waters are lapping at your feet. It will not be long until your departed soul is borne aloft across that river we call death to another land to answer to God. What will be the nature of your journey? Will you approach it in faith? Will you approach it with a certainty fastened to the promises of God? He's taught us we don't have to fear death because those that kill the body, things that kill the body are not able to kill the soul. That's what Jesus said, and I believe that. We don't have to fear death, but often we do. I've heard saints lift their eyes up from a bed of affliction and say, I'm ready. I suspect many of you have too. But when you reach this stage in your life, can you with confidence say, let's do this. I'm ready to make that last journey. Well, I guess that all depends on whether or not you learn to follow the Father's will or whether you just kept doing what self wanted to do. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. I don't care whether you're two or a hundred and two. This hasn't changed. You entered this world soon embracing a responsibility. Children, obey your parents. And that responsibility has evolved into, Child, obey your heavenly Father. And that has followed you and carried you through complex changes and different seasons of life that are soul-shaking and yet eerily familiar. Consistently do the Father's will. As you think about the changing seasons of life and you reflect on your years, I will tell you I don't know which of these seasons your life will find. But we have learned together tonight that there's one consistency in them all. Do the Father's will. Are you doing the Father's will tonight? Are you living by His wishes or by your own? Living by your own desires is a recipe for failure, not just through the seasons of life, but for failure in eternity. Don't let that failure grip you on judgment day and tear your soul away to everlasting separation from the Father in heaven. But embrace the basic fundamental responsibility to do the Father's will. 
It will carry you through every changing season of life all the way to your grave whenever that day shall come. If we can assist you in doing your Father's will this afternoon, we want to do so. If we can help you, please come. Have a seat on the front pew while we stand.